My wife and I are expecting our second child, and I'm excited about it, but I'm also a little worried. You're going to hear about those worries right now. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Two Nobodies. I am the lesser of the two nobodies, Kyle. And today I was hoping to talk about second kids. My wife and I are expecting our second kid. It got me thinking about a lot of stuff. also got me thinking about family composition in Canada and across the world. And I'm hoping to have a little chat with that with my buddy Rupesh. Buddy, how are you doing? Good, good. Uh, this is going to be it's gonna be an interesting conversation. I... I'm a little nervous for you too, man. Like you got, <laughs> you got a second kid coming in the way and, but there's gotta be some good answers out there. Cause I mean, our, our parents and our parents' parents and, you know, I know my grandparents had six, seven, eight kids and you got that one family in the States who's got a TLC show, 17 kids and counting. Like there's gotta be some good solutions out there for you. I feel like everybody, when they talk to their great grandparent or their grandparent, you know, they're one of 12 kids or they're one mm-hmm. of eight kids or something. Sure. But then when you talk to your parents, you know, maybe, maybe one of four, you know, one of three. Um, and I, and I feel like these days I don't, I don't know many people, at least from my friend group who are in a similar age range who come from a family of more than maybe two or three. And I, I think the vast majority are two. And I certainly know a handful of kind of only children. And so in my mind, there's definitely a trend a downward trend of family sizes. Um, oh, it's definitely not even in your mind. Like statistically, the birth rate for most parts of the world has declined big time. Like the in the United States, the biggest growing um, or the birth rate has dropped so much that the majority of families these days are just one child families. Um, and obviously we know one child policy, policy in China. Yeah. Uh, Canada's birth rate has dropped tremendously. It's it's kind of a, also it's a little bit of an issue, obviously, because you have an old an aging population, and you need to make sure that you support the aging population with 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 younger folks and newer entrants into the, into the working class economy. So um, there's that issue, of course, but it's not in your head for sure. <laughs> the birth rates are dropping. Yeah, well, I I did a bit of digging, and in, in 1851 in Canada, the average was 6.56 children per woman and and you're going to hear me say children per women or births per woman because that's how they measured it which it <laughs> seems a little crude but i guess as far as a metric standpoint and a and a unit of measurement that makes sense do they, but, do they still report it that way uh so now yep yeah, so it depends on the source so the government of canada i think calls it children per women but other sources will call it births per woman or it's always like funny that. like government statistics it's like you have to keep it the same way even though yeah. like times have changed but you still have to report it the same way i mean i guess how else would you measure it though because no you i know yeah because um, even i don't know i just because i also had that thought that, well you know there's got to be a better name for this unit of measurement but then i really thought about it and i was like well really that's exactly what you're looking at is the number of times one woman gives birth and and it, it is in a family setting um, generally speaking, but it isn't always in the family setting. And so yeah. what, um, yeah. you know, what does that mean? And by family setting, sorry, that sounds sort of callous, but there are a lot of single mothers out there and there are a lot of single fathers out there yeah, for who, sure. who um, have families without a partner. Mm. So in 1851 in Canada, it was 6.56 children per woman. After the Great Depression, that number dropped to 2.64. Okay. Which, you know, makes sense. That was a pretty tough time for understand. I'll talk to my grandma sometimes about what it was like going through that and you know, sometimes they weren't so sure about food. I mean, I've never had to think about where am I going to get food from, you know? So I can understand wanting to sort of reduce the, the mouths to feed or the number of people that are dependent on you because um, I think would be incredibly difficult to parent. But um, then after World War II, when the baby boom came along, mm-hmm. uh, from 1946 to 1965, there was definitely a baby boom. And we obviously call those people baby boomers and my parents are baby boomers. Um, and the fertility rates peaked in 1959 at 3.94 children per, per woman. So basically four kids per family, which is what my mom's family was, four children. 
And then by the end of the 1960s, there was a lot of things going on in the 60s. You think about the summer of love in 1968 mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. some strong advancements in women's rights and um, what gender roles. Um, you know, there was a big evolution of maybe the roles that women played in society. And, and um, so things like, you know, they were going to university more. They were going to work more. Um, and and even there was declining participation in in religion, but so that decreased for about forty years, I think. And in 1971, so when they measure this stuff, they often talk about replacement level fertility, which refers to the number of children per woman necessary for the population to replace itself. That in in Canada, the last time actually above replacement level fertility was in 1971, when it was at 2.1 children per woman. And that number has been decreasing. And so right now it's 1.5 children per woman in Canada, which is clearly below mm. replacement level. Yeah. And it's the lowest that it's ever been in Canada. It had dipped, I think in 2000, around the year 2000 is about 1.5, 1. And then, it, and then it started to increase till it hit about 1.61 1. in 2011. But since then it's sort of been on a downward trend. And I imagine that trend will continue, but I'm, I'm definitely um, not an expert in, prognostication around births per women in the future. So don't put much stock in that. But that was interesting to me that, that uh, we're below the replacement level fertility. So if, so you decided to help our country. Is that what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's exactly <laughs> what I did. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah. Um, although I'm not sure that I'm more of my DNA is what the world needs right now. <laughs> but if you look around the world, so I was like, okay, well, is that Normal is that high? Is that low? And um, if you look around the world, the highest country in the world, uh, all these numbers are frequent as of 2018 or up to date as of 2018, was Niger in in Africa uh, at 6.9 births per woman. Wow. The lowest in 2018 was Puerto Rico and South Korea, both were at one births per woman. Mm. So on that list, Canada ranks about 174th. Uh, the United States is slightly above us at 1.7 births per woman, so they rank at about 145 on that list. And if I was to ask you, actually, this is a bit of a side note and, and a tangent, but if I was to ask you how many countries there are in the world, what would you say? How many countries are in the world? Yeah. Uh, Sorry to put you on the spot. 243. So I always thought it was like 200 some. Um, counting the number of countries in the world is not straightforward at all. It it varies depending on who you ask or where you go for your information. So the United Nations, for example, recognizes 251 countries and territories yeah, across I wasn't the that world. Far off. Yeah, you weren't. The United States, however, officially recognizes fewer than 200 nations. Uh, and I think that, from what I could tell, the the generally accepted number is 196 countries. And a lot of the reason as to why it varies is because there are a number of disputed yeah, territories. It's for sure. yeah. yeah. So like Taiwan, yeah. Tibet, you know, yeah. Kosovo. Yeah. Anyway, so I spent probably more time than I should have looking at the number of countries in the world and, and all the variation. So if you said 251, you wouldn't be wrong. If you said 196, you wouldn't be wrong. So you were right uh, in that I range. I mean, I think so. the UN, UN number is, you know, because there's supposed to be apolitical. Um, mm-hmm. I would, I would, I would probably side with more with that number. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you're playing um, a little uh, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego. Do you remember that show? Oh, man. He still watches that show. I love that show. Yeah. yeah. Um, so interesting numbers anyway. So Canada has, um, other than a few blips, has been steadily decreasing um, the births per woman since about 1851. Hmm. And this is, again, sort of a bit of a side note. But so that means that. If only Canadians were in Canada, we, you know, our the population in our country would be sinking, and so that puts that puts a lot of stock in immigration because our course. economy would yeah. be in huge trouble yeah. if we didn't have any immigration for population growth. Yeah. And I didn't, I had never really thought about that. Um, so just a bit of another interesting tidbit. So there. wait, you said that uh, South Korea was had the lowest birth rate. Or so South it? Korea, and there was another one that they tied with. Uh, let me look it up. South Korea and Puerto Rico. Yeah, so I'm have... curious. I mean, Puerto Rico, I mean, I even know some friends who moved to Puerto Rico. Um, but South Korea, I'd be curious about what their immigration policies look like. Like, I mean, Canada, I think generally most of the world knows that we are increasingly becoming diverse and there is generally a welcoming of newcomers to the country and 
there are policies to support that. Be curious about what how South Korea is approaching that. Yeah, and I I didn't dig into that much at all. Yeah. The the trend definitely there's so wealthier nations who have better access to contraception, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that, birth control, things like that, uh, generally have lower birth rates per woman. Um, and then, you know, so that's inverse, you know, so the right. poorer nations generally have higher birth for women. Korea, though, I feel like is, um, it's a, you know, generally wealthy country, is it not? Yeah, I mean, it, I it's, it's possible that the demographics could be on the lower, lower, like on the younger side, right? So maybe there's not, maybe there's not much of concern over there. So the list was interesting in and of itself. And it didn't really fact, you know, we, as we were trying to decide if we wanted to have a second kid, we never really thought about, well, what, you know, what's the average birth for women and, and all that stuff. But I, I just was wondering, because I've thought a lot about what does it mean to go from one kid to two? And mm-hmm. this has to be something that um, more families than not go through in Canada. And it turns out I was sort of wrong. Um, you know, there are fewer families with two children than there are families with one. Or, you know, the, the diversity there is probably right in the middle, which is lower than I would have thought, to be honest. Right. But I, I've also been been reaching out to some friends of mine who have two kids and having conversations with with them around it, and I've got a quite the range of answers. I've I've got people say, you know, it's not really one unit of difficulty per child plus one unit of difficulty per you know for your second child. So it's not mm. one kid plus one kid equals two units of difficulty. It's actually less. It's you know one kid plus point five units of difficulty. It's because you've already made the adjustment from having no children, having one children. And actually that, uh, they've said that that adjustment is much harder than going from one to two. Cause it's, when you go from having no kids to one kid, it, it, it's a drastic lifestyle shift. But by going from one to two, you've already sort of made that adjustment. You kind of understand what, you know, what it takes to be a parent and sort of what the demands are for a kid. Now, most of your friends, are they, are they kids pretty close in age, would you say? Yes. Yes. Um, the furthest apart are pro- probably three years. Yeah. So, and then I've had other friends tell me that the people that are telling them it's it's not one plus one are insane and that's exponentially more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even had a buddy that said, um, if you like your life right now, do not do it. <laughs> um, and I appreciate the honesty. And so I've kind of been thinking about that entire range of emotions and, um, you know, we ultimately made the decision to, to try and have a second one. Was it, was that a, like a new no brainer for you? Like, or were you, was that a, what was your transition like to, or was there one? No, I've never been, I was never one of those people that said, yes, I, I, I need to have children. Like okay. I didn't, I didn't grow Even up the first one. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I didn't, I never in my life thought, yes, absolutely. You know, I need to be a parent. I need to have kids. But it was, you know, when the decision to have one came along, it was a pretty easy decision. I was excited about it. And I love my wife very much. And we really, really wanted to to try to have a kid. And we were lucky enough to be able to do that. One to two, though, was a little bit different. You know, so like I said, I, I, I was never one who thought to myself, well, you know, I want to have two kids and a white picket fence and all that stuff. And one has been wonderful. Our Our son, it's been just so great in so many ways. And I've learned a lot about myself and I've learned a lot about you know, being a parent and I, you know, he's, he's my favorite person in the world now. And I, all these feelings and emotions come up that you didn't really know existed. And I hope that that doesn't come across as, as exclusionary for folks that I uh, don't have kids. Cause that's certainly not my intent, but for me personally, I didn't, I didn't know that I could feel this way about something. Sure. Yeah. I didn't know that I could love something like I do. I also didn't know I could worry about, you know, mm-hmm. something so much or think about things so much or just the, the pure amount of effort and time that goes into me thinking, just thinking about him is exhausting. And then there's all the, you know, the um, physical aspect of it too. Uh, there's some days where I feel like I haven't really done anything. I've really just kind of been chasing around and I'm just absolutely exhausted. And I think most parents out there uh, know exactly what I'm talking about. But so when it came to go from one to two, I had to do a lot of self-reflection and I was sort of the hang up there when, when, oh, when okay. we were having the, the, the conversation, I just said, you know, I just need to think about it. I need to mm-hmm. be, you know, I need to kind of 
get a really deep understanding of how I feel about this. I don't want to rush. And was it, it just because you were just loving or enjoying your life at that moment? And it was it was a number of things. Certainly, I really love the relationship that I have with my son now, and I love yeah. the amount of time that I can spend with him. And I love the attention that I can give him. And I didn't, I didn't want to disrupt that. I I didn't want to take away from our relationship yeah. by sort of adding to our family. And I, I mean, he has no idea what's coming. Like we tell him, and, and we what's try his to reaction? communicate like, with does him. Does he kind of get all he just sort of about it or no? He just wants to play with trucks, and so we'll tell him, <laughs> and he'll he'll it'll register, and he'll acknowledge the comment, or he'll he'll acknowledge that a baby is coming, or that there's a baby in mommy's tummy, and then he'll just go back to play with his dump truck or whatever he's yeah. playing with. So, I mean, I, I don't really know how much a two and a half year old can internalize these things and digest them. And, but so we, we try to tell him, but he has no idea what's coming. He has no idea mm-hmm. that one day he's just going to come home from a sleepover from his grandma and grandpa's house. And there's going to be this little noise machine here. And the little noise machine is going to take up at least half of our attention. So he's going to get half of what he used to get. And it's going to be loud and it's going to wake him up and, He's not going to understand that. How could you possibly understand that? And so we try to prepare him for it, but it's going to rock his world. And that's something that sort of bothers me a little bit. And the other part of it is, I don't know how to phrase this, but having a kid, at least in my experience, I'll be interested to hear what, what your experience is. It impacts your relationship with your wife or your partner. Mm-hmm. In a good and bad way at the same time. It's it, it's not one or the other. It just makes things different. And it's brought us so close in so many ways. But it's also made things a little bit difficult at times when we're both short on sleep and or we don't know what to do or we're scared because our son has hurt himself or whatever it is. There's times where stress can run high and it can make your relationship with your partner more difficult or a little bit more stressful. And I wonder if adding a second kid to that if it'll increase the good by two times and the stress by two times or if it increases the good by one and a half and the stress by three or sort of what it is but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on the impact to your relationship with your wife since Avina has arrived well just to first on the you know adding another child what that would do there's no doubt that it just makes it more complex and more challenging, right? So I guess if you're not at a good base already, um, it's just more work that probably you and your wife are going to have to put in. I have actually no qualms or doubts about that. Um, I don't under, I don't see how it could make things easier, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, for for Michelle and I um, with Avina. I think it, it, it really, um, you know, there was a lot of things going on too. It wasn't just sort of one thing with Avina. Like my, my dad had just died and then, and then, you know, we found out that we, that Michelle was pregnant about a month later. And then, you know, my mom lives with us too. And you can only imagine the complexities associated with that. So there, there was a lot of things, there are a lot of things that were happening and continue to happen with that. Um, that we have to navigate. Um, but I would, I would say that we had a certain base and a certain trust that we had established and a certain rapport, but having a child really just un, really tested things in a way that we weren't expecting, you know, like they think that we were, uh, like our fights before our arguments before having Avina were, didn't last they weren't substantial we weren't we also like you said we weren't physically tired you know we were energized we had more capacity more resilience and so when you're working from a low physical state in a low mental state you know it's easy to to really um push each other's buttons and it's harder to kind of get out of the hole so you know i think that it's it's something that we would be concerned with if we were to have a second child for sure. But I think we have absolutely put in a ton of work um, over these last few years to overcome a bunch of things and to become closer. And so I think we recognize that if we were ever to have a second kid, that it would be a lot more difficult. And so we would have to be, we'd have to make sure that the base that we're working from is, is much stronger. 
than it was going in because I, I like I remember yeah, telling I, Michelle like, like this is the stuff we're talking about. Like we never had to deal with these kind of major issues before, or um, where we're really, you know, and also people evolve, right? Like people are not the Michelle and I are not the same entire same people that we were when we started our relationship back in 2006, like we just, you evolve and you, and you want different things. And, and so you're having to just evolve with each other. And so having a second kid, like, I mean, three years ago, we were super excited to have our first kid and it made sense for us now. Don't know anymore. Right. Like, and, and I can only imagine it's probably, you know, you probably, you probably feel like you're in a different place than you were you know, almost three years ago when your son was born. So that, that wasn't a really crisp answer for you, but I, I think generally um, we weren't, we thought we were prepared, but I think just with all the circumstances and other life challenges we were kind of thrown, it really just put us into a spiral and we really had to see whether there was enough trust and commitment that was there. Actually, it's really interesting. So like the Gottmans, I don't know if you've heard of the Gottmans, they're like the relationship people. Like they're like the you you have to like you have to no. uh, look up the Gottmans. They are um, a lot of clinical okay. psychologists. Base when they when they do couples work, they base their their work off of the Gottmans research. But trust they have like this sort of house model when it comes to relationship, and the foundations of the house are based on trust and commitment. And so if you don't have that, you're just not going to make it. And so I th- I would I would say you know. I think for any couple out there, um, if you're going to have a second kid, you probably need to make sure that those things are still there and, and, and they're still part of your, your, your foundation of your relationship home. And, and you can probably work things out, I would think. Yeah. And that, that comment about having a solid base or a solid foundation and strong communication kind of going into the first kid is so crucial. And I, that's one thing that I love about my wife so much is we're a really, really good team and we work really, really well together. But she's also wonderful at saying exactly how she's feeling. And that is, you know, and in the moment when you hear that, you know, when you hear an honest comment and maybe tensions are high, in in that moment, maybe you're a little upset about it or you get frustrated or something. But to know where somebody stands is so valuable and to have that that strong communication and I'm a terrible communicator. I like when I'm mm. upset, I'm a bit of a baby and I just kind of clam up and that doesn't help anybody. But so to have that strong base and that strong communication and make sure that, that you are a good team and you, you sort of try to go into it eyes wide open as best you can. And I don't know if any book or any amount of research or any amount of reading can kind of get you in the, in the ideal spot from going to having no kids to one. I mean, it, it's a kick in the pants and it's just a bit of a whirlwind for a bit, but it's, it's also so w- wonderful. You're, you're, I mean, you, you've talked about doing a lot more meditation these days. Do you feel like you're kind of finding like, I don't know, or maybe you already had one, like this sort of inner voice, like that's, you're just a lot more self-aware these days. Like, is that, does that evolve for you or? It's a good question. I don't know. It's, you know, I, I feel like the, you know, the improvements in sort of that self-awareness or self-reflection are, are sort of incremental and pretty small. And it's sort of like two steps forward, one step back a lot of times. And I, I don't always stick with it. I feel like I am more self-reflective and maybe a little bit more aware of situations and maybe a bit more actually less stubborn when it comes to a stand like a like a viewpoint that I have or a stance that I have on something I I, I will question my my viewpoint or, or my stance on something in an honest mm-hmm. moment of of thought and that's been really good because it kind of helps me realize that actually ah you know what maybe I'm you know maybe this wasn't the best thing to do or maybe I was a little wrong there or um, you know, it, it helps me kind of grow and learn from experiences a little bit more, but I find I'm incredibly inconsistent with, mm-hmm. with making time for those self-reflections. So I, like I find, you know, really on the average day, I get about an hour and a half or maybe two hours of, of free time to myself. And what I mean by that is usually our son is in bed 
the dishes are done, you know, our sort of daily chores have been complete and there's really nothing to do. So I can either, you know, grab a book or I can play uh, crib with my wife or I can watch TV or, or I can, you know, take that time to sort of self-reflect. And that hour and a half, two hours happens when things right. go as planned in a day. But if if our son, for whatever reason, isn't going to bed easily, which he's been a champ for most of his life when it comes to bedtime, he's been just great. But lately, he you know he he's uh, he's going through this thing where where we put him down for sleep and he cries and it takes another twenty five minutes or half an hour to kind of get him to sleep. Mm-hmm. And so okay, now that hour and a half is down to an hour. Sure. And I have things I want to do. I've been actively trying to pursue hobbies and, and and actively trying to pursue things that sort of allow me to be a little bit more in the moment or sort of turn my brain off. And so then I have an hour to do that. And in, in that hour, I can choose to spend that time with my wife or I can choose to, you know, do some self-reflection or I can choose to read a book or whatever it might be. Or I can choose to do a couple of those things so I can spend half an hour with my wife and half an hour doing something I want to do. But really, then you're not really doing either of those things very well. So all that to say is time is at a bit of a premium. So, you know, so free time is a bit of a premium these days. And I find that I have stretches of time where I take advantage of it in a really healthy way where I do spend time with my wife and I do show her affection and or I do really pursue that self-reflection. And then there's weeks go by where I'll watch a hockey game or you know, watch a movie at night or whatever, which I'm not saying that that's unhealthy. You certainly need to kind of have a bit of that escapism sometimes, I mean, there, but um, it yeah. all really depends on how I'm using that free time and how I'm pursuing that free time. And I guess that's a, sure. a concern of mine is that's with one kid, you know, hour and a half, two hours a day. And so now with two. I'm sure that's like the main concern. It would be the, it is for sure the concern of mine if I were to have a second kid is, where do you find extra capacity to do anything for yourself? And then kind of what you said before, like that feeling yeah. of, you know, not wanting to disappoint your first kid because now you got to, you got to spend more attention with, with the second kid. Right. And that kind of weighing on you, like those would be concerns of mine. Uh, just going back to sort of why I asked that yeah. question is because I don't know about you, but I, I definitely trusting my, like my inner, I'm a, you know, I think I think you even mentioned it. I'm a pretty reflective person. I can hear sort of that inner voice in me telling me sort of how to navigate and how to move forward with things. And, but I'm trusting that a lot more. And I almost think it's like I, I, the question. I guess I want to ask you is like, do you trust yourself that you're gonna be the dad that you want to be, and that you're gonna be the husband and the partner that you want to be? Like, is that inner voice telling you that, or do you feel insecure about that? I generally try not to listen to my inner voice too much, <laughs> and not uh, just because I feel like um, I was I was sort of like one of those people that would have a gut feeling and then just take it as fact, and um, and I find out that you know and in those moments of self-reflection, I would figure out that actually my gut feelings aren't always right. And so I, I shouldn't put a lot of creed in that. But to your question about, do I trust myself about being a good father and like being a good husband with the second one around? I, I do in a lot of ways. I do because I know that I'm, I feel like I'm a really good father to my son. And I feel like I'm a really good husband to my wife. You know, the majority of the time for both of them. But there's also times, and this is sort of a third fear, uh, you know, so if, if we kind of list them, so the first one is my relationship with my son. Second is, is my relationship with my wife. Third is there are times when I am not proud of how I handle myself, like around my son or, or, or my wife. And mostly that's when we're short on sleep and we're high on stress and a stressful situation arises or my son, I haven't slept very well. And my son is going, you know, he has days where he's just a contrarian all day and he just does the exact opposite of everything that you want him to do. And really, it feels like the entire day is a bit of a fight. And so it's whatever. On those days when it's 6.30 and he's been fighting me all day, arguing with me all day and doing the exact opposite of what I've been asking him to do, um, I can lose my cool. Absolutely, I can. I've I've yelled at him before. And that really bothers me when I do it. I'm not proud of it but I've certainly done it. 
And what's going to happen there? And I've, I feel like the instances of those um, moments of losing my cool have decreased over time as I've learned more about how to parent and learn more about how to sort of hold those emotions in or at least handle them in a more healthy way. And then, you know, do what I have to do quietly, calmly, and then sort of deal with those emotions later. But what's going to happen when I have a second kid? What's going to happen when I don't, when I'm not getting sleep? Because the first time around when, when I wasn't getting sleep, I didn't have another kid. You know, so when my son was three months old and he wasn't sleeping very well, we we're getting two and a half hours of sleep. We get, we For the first nine months of our son's life, we didn't get more than probably four hours of sleep at night. Oh, uh, There was a couple nights maybe there where you get six or seven, maybe. Yeah. But for the first nine months, we we probably didn't get more than four, maybe four and a half hours of sleep on average a night. And he's three months old. It's hard to get mad at a three-month-old. But what about the two-and-a-half-year-old who's, if that were to happen again, so if for the first six months we're not getting any sleep, um, I'm not going to get mad at my three-month-old because it's hard to do that. But what about when I have a three-year-old who is – throwing his his full glass of milk at dinner across the wall and then as i'm cleaning that up he throws his bowl of rice or chili whatever is all over the floor in the carpet after you've told him not to do I it take it that's oh, happened yeah absolutely it has <laughs> okay. and so i think one of the most frustrating things now is we know very well that he understands what we're asking of him and he does the opposite just almost as a big you know middle finger or just he's sort of just expressing his independence, right? He's learned that he doesn't have to do what we say. And so he's just kind of exploring those boundaries as every kid should. Um, and so it's really up to us as parents to figure out how to handle that because he's not doing anything wrong. He's doing exactly what a kid should do. He's testing his boundaries. And we need to kind of figure out how we deal with that, right? To sort of teach him that that's not maybe right, and but in a healthy way. And when you yell at a kid, that's not healthy. So what? So if I'm six months into not getting any sleep and my three-and-a-half-year-old is throwing his milk and his chili at dinner time, it is going to take a Herculean effort on my part to not overreact to some degree. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of the third thing is, you know, I need to really, really be in a, in a place where I can register those feelings and those emotions and then interpret them and express them in a way that's helpful or like beneficial to my wife and my kid. So that's sort of the third thing. And I'm, I, so with your question about do I trust myself, when I have a reasonable amount of sleep, 100%. Yeah. I trust myself to be a good father and a good husband. When I'm not getting any sleep, I, um, I'm not so sure. And so how that manifests with my son is I'll, I'll overreact with something. I'll like raise my voice or I'll, you know, just like snatch his, his cup out of his hand or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. right? With my wife, how that comes out is I just like clam up. So it is like what I'm hearing, it's anchored on just not getting that sleep. Is that, do you think that is that's one part of it or is that the main part of it? It's so sleep is incredibly important. And I would say if there was one thing that I had to boil it down to, it's sleep. Absolutely. Um, mm. But the second part also is like dealing with these sort of form of frustration that I've never really had to deal with before. Like, for sure. You know, there really is no relationship like that between a parent and a child when the child is really testing their boundaries it can be incredibly frustrating and so i'm still learning about that relationship but i'm gonna have to continue learning about it but you know sort of with this other um you know with our second son and this toddler i'm not losing sleep over it but those are the kind of the three things that i'm a little nervous about now i've, I've sort of internalized all those and you know oh, I'm, I'm much more excited about what's to come than i am worried about it but i think that it's a reasonable conversation to have with somebody who's expecting a second kid that they have some anxieties around it. And I did some Googling on it and I, you know, looked up things on um, Reddit or other uh, forums online of, you know, parents that asked this exact question. Like I'm having, you know, like one was said, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. Uh, like a month or two away from having my second kid and I'm having panic attacks because I'm worried about, you know, what that's going to be like. And so there's definitely, you know, that, that there are people who probably don't worry about, um, much at all and then on the other side no. there's probably people who worry about it a lot and i'm i'm somewhere in the middle but this cannot be an uncommon thing um but the good thing about that is generally when you read those posts people who have had two kids and are two years into it generally say you know what the first year is hard the first year is hard um it's a 
it's a big adjustment and you sort of have to learn things. But after that, it's actually really, really great. And they said, now our, our bond with our first kid is stronger than ever before because we have this love that we share for this, you know, new addition to our family. And plus they play with each other all the time. So like your relationship might take a bit of a hit at the start, but then as soon as that second child is able to be interactive and express themselves, there's this new relationship between your children. I would think that that's super critical is just to make sure that you fold in that first kid into the relationship with the new kid, right? I mean, if you just kind of keep them as two separate entities, and I don't know if people generally do that, but I think if there's a conscious effort to to really make the second kid a, a part of their first kid's life, then it's just like having, you know, I don't know if you do this with your son, but we try to have our daughter uh, help us, you know, make supper, right? And even if she's doing it, just being a part of the meal, she has more affection or more, uh, she enjoys the meal a little better or more willing to at least try something because she has been a part of the process. And so I would think that that kind of logic would apply to a sibling and probably would reduce um, some of the some of the frustrations. The other thing I was going to say about the frustrations, and I'm not sure how you deal with it um, right now, but I always, I, th- I think I'm getting better at like not dying on every hill, right? Like if there's something, I mean, I, I would be frustrated if, if Avina threw the milk across the wall. Like I just don't know how I wouldn't react to that, something like that. Like that's, yeah. Um, but generally things like that would, that are probably going to take me off. I try to ask myself the question, like, why is this bothering me? Right? Like, do I have to react to this or can I calmly just kind of just, let it go or should I just have a calm conversation about this? Like really what's, what's the issue here? And that has kind of removed a lot of the frustrations that I, that I used to have with the littlest things, because it's just a change in your life, the way you would have lived with your partner. Um, you know, you got grubby hands on clean things now, which wouldn't have been there before. Or, you know, my daughter was eating these kind of cheesy crackers and then she ran to, touched the pillows and we lost our minds because she wouldn't do that before. Right. It's just stuff just wasn't happening. Um, when you didn't have a kid, but again, it was just kind of coming back to like, okay, is there something bigger here that I really need to, to be upset about? Or is this something that I can, so I'm not sure. Do you kind of take a similar approach or how do you manage this right now? I mean, a little bit, we're trying to, he needs to know that what we say, um, generally is our expectation of what he does. And when he does the exact opposite, you know, he needs to know that that's not what the expectation is of him, particularly when it's things like throwing food. But he but he'll, he mm. will do it with just about anything nowadays. Like if you say to him, so he will throw his toys sometimes and then we usually take them away and we say, you know, son, we have to be careful with our things. And the rule is when you throw your toys, we take them away. And he gets upset that we do it, but the way that he reacts to that is he goes and grabs every toy he has and he throws it. And so then we could either, you know, say, okay, well, you know, we're not going to die on this hill. But then that sort of teaches him, well, maybe not every toy he throws like we pick up. And so we sort of have to stick to our guns on some things. And okay. those are generally the things yeah. that that get us frustrated because those are generally the things that he will do a lot in a short period of time. So like for breakfast, he will... Like he usually has like a little bowl of fruit. Mm-hmm. He'll just throw it. And then at snack time, he'll throw something. And then at lunch, he'll throw something. And at dinner, he'll throw something. And what we do now is we just make him clean it up. So we say, if you're going to throw something, we're going to make you clean it up. Problem is, I think he sort of enjoys cleaning it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if he throws his milk, then we'll get him a rag and we'll make him kind of wipe it up. And you know, you know, we we help him with it. Otherwise, it would take two hours. But puts on he his has to ear- l- earring, turns it to Mister Clean. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> yeah, uh, has this weird white suit. Yeah. Um, and so we'll help him with it because otherwise, we you know we'd be there for three hours because he's terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're trying to teach him that there are consequences to the actions that you have. Use your own toothbrush, son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like I. So, yeah, I definitely think about that, but there are also lessons that we're trying to teach him Yeah, about, about you know behavior that just isn't acceptable. And he only does it with us. When he goes to his grandparents' house, 
they bring him home and they just say, oh, he was so good all day. He ate really well. He listened mm. to us. He slept really well. And then the minute they leave, he just sort of loses his mind. And my, my wife has read something that said, children will usually act out where they feel the safest. And so when you get, when you yeah. get children, you know, for, you know, so what that's almost nice to hear. Cause that means that, you know, he feels yeah. most comfortable and safe at home to kind of act out. But so when you get somebody who is going to school and constantly acting out and constantly, um, you know, not listening, that can maybe mean that they feel like school is their safe place and like their most mm. comfortable place. And you can read into that however you want. And that, and that certainly isn't the case, you know, for every kid that acts out at school, but that was the, the general thinking around what she read. And it makes sense to me. But also his grandparents don't, don't enforce, not that they aren't wonderful grandparents because they are, but like you know, how grandparents are. He sort of gets his way there more than he does at home. Mm. So that's a long way of saying yes. I try to have those conversations, and there are some things that I just sort of let go. Um, but there's also certain lessons that we feel like he really has to learn. Yeah, on. for sure. And on those ones, we stick to our guns. But those are usually the ones that he like. The more we stick to our guns, the more he pushes back. And I'm mm-hmm. sure at some point that'll like that might change, or he'll sort of learn that we're not going to give up on this but until he well, does we sort I of mean it's it like even like we've tried to even add it's like okay well maybe maybe my daughter doesn't understand why it's important right and so we're like okay let's let's make the why let's let's spend time on why it's important why mommy and daddy are mad about this but I mean at two and three it's like I think maybe it's some things are starting to hit a little bit but still it's just like there might not be any capacity for a two-year-old or three-year-old to understand why this is important to mommy and daddy. Like, why do I have to eat this vegetable that doesn't taste, that tastes like farts, a.k.a. broccoli, right? Like, Wait, and, what vegetables and, are you feeding your daughter that taste like farts? I say broccoli. I said broccoli, no. Because you need to get some fresh vegetables, man. <laughs> well, it smells like farts. I guess, I guess it, it can, yeah. Maybe cauliflower. But <laughs> so I uh, yesterday, he was. I picked him up. For some reason, he had done something that I do, I didn't think he should have done, and he he grabbed, he put his thumb inside my mouth, and then pulled sideways. So he was like pulling my mouth. He sideways. fish hooked you. Yeah, and then wrapped his fingers on the outside of my cheek and squeezed as hard as he could, and then pulled his hand back off of my cheek, and that hurt. Oh. And, I, and and I said, hands are not for hurting people hands are not for hitting that hurt daddy please don't do that he responded to that with an open hand slap to my face (laughs) and and so i was like that hurts please don't do that hands are not for hitting i tried to be polite and i tried to be nice so i don't know like i don't know how many times i can get fish hooked and then slapped in the face yeah and like keep my cool um you know without raising my voice and i also i also wonder a little bit and um you know how we always, like when you read parenting books of today, they're like, oh, 30 years ago, those idiots were doing this. And like, what a bunch of idiots those guys were. And th- and then we read the book and like, here's what you should be doing. Like, here's what people who aren't idiots doing. Um, But in 30 years, they're going to be writing books about the books that were published in 2020. So in 2050, there's going to be a parenting book th- that comes out and says, you're not going to believe this. But in 2020, this was the parenting advice and people actually did this. And here's all the negative impacts of that. Like we like to think that we've got it all figured out right now. But the truth is we probably have some of it figured out and we probably have more of it figured out than we did 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But we don't have it all figured out. So I try to take what people are writing in these books as valuable information and as very strong suggestions and as people who who have done more research than I do, but they might not have got it all right. And so, I don't know, I just... Sometimes I just kind of mm-hmm. have to mm-hmm. ad lib it, <laughs> and that almost never works out for me, anyways. But so um, the good news is, when you read about people who have actually gone through this, they're like, none of those fears actually came true, or if they did, it was to a very minor degree. Um, and there was actually a lot of positive that came out of it. And it's not like you have this finite amount of love or this finite amount of resources to give to your kid. Um, you, know, you do in, in terms of time, but you just sort of find the energy and you just sort of find the ways to include your entire family and to, you know, you just sort of do your best and that's all you can really do. And, you know, people look back on it like, it was, you know, it's it's been a, this really great experience 
and all those things that I worried about. Now I just kind of laugh at them. And so I'm hoping that's my experience and we'll see. But, um, you know, happy to have this conversation with you because I'm sure it's something that a lot of parents kind of think about, even going from zero to one kids, like, for, you know, sorry, from no kids to one kid. I had a lot of anxieties too, right? And I think it's important to voice those things. I understand that you're not the only one. No, I I think I think this was it was a worthwhile conversation to have, and um, you know, I guess maybe one other question that I have for you is like, are there any sort of insecurities that that you have? Maybe it's kind of relates to what I said asked before. Maybe just a little bit different though. But any insecurities that you have you maybe had with your first child that have maybe have been unresolved kind of going into your second child? Oh man, good question. Um, I'm trying to th- like for me, for me, like I kind of alluded to it. Like it's that I always, I think I said it in, in one of the episodes, like one of the, that sort of limiting belief that I have for myself, which I'm working on is, is this feeling like I'm always going to disappoint. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that it's still not resolved. And so if I were to have a second kid, I I feel like that would come out even more strongly. It's because I don't want to. I feel like I am so conscious of not disappointing Avina that I would be like, where am I going to find the capacity to be even more conscious to not disappoint the second kid? So that would be sort of my insecurity as far as if I were to have a second kid that I think hasn't been resolved. But mm. I don't know if you have one. Um, that's a good question. But I, it's funny, and maybe this should sort of help me mentally you know get ready for the second kid i don't even remember what those insecurities were uh mm. or at least not to a point that i can be really specific about them and particularly none that are are still lingering um i mean i was worried about just being a good dad i didn't know what that was and i didn't know you know i i always had a great father and like, we've talked about this before you know i i sort of knew what that looked like i thought but it's one thing to sort of know what it is and then it's another to to do it and I, and I think to date, you know, I have a great relationship with my son and I I really try hard to, you mm-hmm. know, to to be a good father. And I hope that comes through. You know, you can ask him in 30 years what he thought of me. But um, so, no, not really. Um, if there, like, and, and, and why maybe this could be just sort of how I've learned a little bit more about this limiting belief is that, like, if it is something that's kind of, you know, at the root level, um, that you just, you tell yourself or that's kind of holding you back, it might manifest into behaviors or, or emotions that you are portraying onto the second kid. Right. So if you, if you, if you start to figure out, okay, this is sort of, um, something I'm telling myself that I believe that like, for example, again, for me, it was like that feeling like I'm going to disappoint everyone. Well, there's behaviors that I naturally would take, right to 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 feel like I don't to make sure that I don't disappoint somebody, right? So if you figure that out, then you can maybe um identify those behaviors and then kind of be like, okay, I'm doing this behavior right now with my second kid and oh, I think I did this with my first kid. There's something there that I need to work on. Like there's this belief there deep rooted that I need to really identify. And if you identify that, then it's like you're starting to take control of that whole situation, mm. right? Um, anyway, no, no, it's, something. it's a good, um, yeah, that's a pretty strong practice. It sounds like, and a good, good piece of advice that I'll just certainly try to adopt and maybe do a bit more self-reflection on, it's, you know, kind of think maybe where I could focus that. Cause it sounds like a pretty helpful little process there. Yeah. I think it's like, I mean, it's, I think a lot of psychologists look at like limiting beliefs and how to, um, and how to work through those. And certainly that's the help that I've gotten with my psychologist. So um, I th- I can't imagine why it wouldn't be helpful when you're dealing with insecurities as a dad and especially going into a second kid. Like it's got to make sense, in, at least makes sense in my mind that if there's something that you just haven't resolved with your first, that it's probably going to translate and you're probably going to mimic some of those behaviors or emotional responses with your second kid. Yeah. And and if you still are not identifying, okay, what's that belief that you, that's holding you back, then, you know, you're probably going to run into the same troubles and they might be even more, um, they more, might even have a higher magnitude of expression than the first one. Mm. 
Yeah. No, that's a super interesting point. I hadn't thought about it before, and maybe I'll have to do a bit of a bit of thinking on some of my old old free time. You know, do some good <laughs> self reflection and, and see maybe where yeah. I can apply that. Um. Well, buddy. Hey, thanks. Uh, certainly appreciate you. You know, kind of listening to me air all my all my fears and anxieties. Um. You know, my greatest fears. Actually, I don't know. I wonder what my greatest fear is. I wonder if it's great white sharks. Like, I I would be so terrified if I was in the ocean. There's just great white sharks swimming around. Maybe that's the greatest fear. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny on that one. Uh, I, I started to do, I don't know where Vina got this from, but uh, I, I did the Jaws noise with her. Oh, yeah. And she instantly freaked it's out. It's a creepy noise, she's man. Like, she's like, don't do that sound ever again. That's and I was like, oh, okay. And then she's like, I'm going to do it. Oh. And so now she does it to oh. me, but I'm not allowed to do it to her. So. I'm a bit, of a, a bit of a dictator over there when it comes yeah. to oh, movie yeah, theme music. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I uh, certainly appreciate the time, pal. And, um, you know, looking forward to maybe we can get more into Great White Sharks in one of these episodes and, you know, yeah, for why sure. that's an irrational fear or maybe it's not that irrational. Shark week. Maybe yeah. we should have a Shark Week episode. Man, sharks are so interesting. Yeah. The ocean is so interesting. I have debates with friends about <laughs> what's cooler, the ocean or space. And the ocean, by a million miles. Like, oh, what is the most interesting thing about space? Like, that there might be aliens? I don't know. I think, well, I, there, there's equal amounts of unknown. Well, not, I wouldn't say equal amounts. I think there's obviously infinite amounts of unknown in space compared to the, the ocean. Totally. Right? But it's just like, like right now, sure, the, there's potential for space to be really, really cool. But right now, look at all the cool stuff in the ocean. Oh, for sure. I think we, we spend way more time looking into space than we do in our own planet. No question. Yeah. There's a 37-foot great white shark last year, maybe two years ago. 37 feet. 37 feet? That's a telephone pole, pole plus seven feet. A shark that big. I'm telling you. You're lying. I'm not lying. Look it up. There's a video. A woman was swimming with it with in, in, like not in a cage. These videos, though, you ever seen these thumbnails on YouTube? It's like these they, they enlarge these pictures. And you're like, wow, this massive 100 foot wave, and then you like look at it, and it's like 20 feet. No, or I I watched the video. This woman touches it. It's insane. Okay. Yeah. So okay, you know, sharks, man, worry about them. Um, yeah. But okay. hey, I appreciate the time, and yeah, let's do this again soon. You bet. Okay, hey, appreciate you. I appreciate you. Okay. See ya.